Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. So yeah, if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we have, uh, we've been, I think this is maybe our seventh week through this book. We just basically have been taking it chapter by chapter. And I, I want to thank Doug for his message last week. He did a wonderful job uh, teaching on church discipline. And uh, man, just, just a lot of truth and grace that he showed in, uh, in just teaching on that subject. So a hard subject, but um, a good one. And uh, man, as, as we've been going through this book, I, I realize this was written, this letter was written to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, but it's very relevant and, um, and, and applicable for us today. And I think you're just going to see that again as we move into chapter 6. Um, what I've entitled this message is, I've entitled it Kingdom Community. And I'm going to try and explain that a little bit for us as, uh, as we get into this text about what that means. But I think you get a little taste of it, even from our announcements this morning, is that like we're, we're a community of people that are following Jesus, that are serving one another, that are, that are loving one another as Christ loved us. And um, that's part of what it means to be a kingdom community. And uh, here Paul is writing this letter to this church because he sees and he loves this church. And like a shepherd, he knows that this church is going through conflict. They're ripping each other apart. And we'll see some of that conflict today. And, and he also knows that there, there are things in their world and in their culture that are pulling them away from following Jesus and I think we feel that same tug today. And so we're going to learn how to follow Jesus and be a kingdom community here as, as, uh, as disciples of Christ. And so um, let's go to our text this morning. Um, our text this morning is, uh, let's start in, in chapter 6, verse 1. And we'll, we'll read part of it. We'll comment on it. And then, um, and then we'll, read, um, we'll read the next section and, and comment through it. But um, let's, let's start in verse 6. It says this, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And so, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between the brothers? But brother goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. 
So this is a teaching, um, and uh, it, it, you know, our, our first point this morning as we talk about kingdom community is that God wants us to embrace his design for Christian unity. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down. God wants us to embrace his design for Christian unity. This is one of three different things that Paul is going to cover. The first thing is, obviously, he's going to talk about unity. Um, in the next section, he's going to talk about just embracing his design for for um, sex and money and power, things that we get wrong a lot. Um, third, we're going to see as he ends the chapter, he's going to talk about how being a part of God's community, his kingdom community, means that we're embracing his design for our body and uh, for our new identity in him. And so as, as we read these first few verses, what we see is that um, Paul is addressing that there are conflicts that were happening within the church, that were driving them, instead of trying to just reconcile with one another or work out their problems within the church, they were, you know, getting litigious against one another. They were saying, I'm going to sue you, and you're going to sue me, and we're going to go to the civil court, and we're going to work this out in the Roman court system. And that was part of their culture during, during that time. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it's also a part of our culture as well, if, if we think about the TV shows that we like to watch, um, you know, the, the daytime TV shows like Judge Judy, you know, they had their own Judge Judy back then, except they, they actually, you know, when they, when they had these cases, actually it was an honor to be called into, into jury duty. Today, when we get that letter in the mail, even though we're required to do it, we're like, oh, are you serious? Like, I just got, have to do this. Well, they love doing it. They loved doing that kind of stuff, and it was, it was very entertaining. Um, and, and today, it's very entertaining for us to watch these kind of civil cases work themselves out. And that, that's not right for us to be. But um, that's the way it was then. That's the way it is today. Um, what was happening is that uh, instead of working these things out, though, in, inside the church, they took them outside. And it was basically bringing shame upon you know, the, the identity of, of God's church that basically you guys, you guys are not like anybody else. You guys can't even work out your own problems. So why should we come into this church community? Why would we want to be a part of that is basically what people would, would think. Um, and so as I, as I think about this, I'm also aware that something that we know about the church in Corinth is that uh, this church could have been maybe from 80 to 150 people. And so that kind of reminds me of the size of this community right here. And I, I just want you to put yourselves in their shoes right now and to think, what if we had someone in our church suing another person in our church? And maybe you've experienced that before and you know what it's like because you've lived through it. It's not pretty. Okay, say for example, take myself. Maybe I, you know, have, there's a contractor. Maybe that's in, in the church. And, and so we work up, you know, he, he works up, up a, 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 a quote. We agree on a price uh, for him to remodel my bathroom. And, uh, and so I pay half down, you know, do a down payment so he can buy the materials. He comes in with his team. He completes the project, but I refuse to pay him the rest of it. Injustice has happened, right? 
And, and maybe you've experienced that before. I'll tell you, I've experienced things like that before. But on the opposite side, see, I've, I've hired someone before. I've paid them half before they did the job. And then as they did the job, I paid them in full before it was complete. And they did the job bad. The job went completely bad. It had to be ripped out. And here I'm out all my money. And he never made it right. What happens? Like, I, I know you guys have endured something like that before, but think about this happening between two people in the church, and they're fighting, and they're like, I'm going to sue you, you're going to sue me, we're going to take it to the courts. Now think about what's happening in the church community at this time. Don't you think that there's people taking sides? Don't you think that there's people gossiping? Don't you think that um, you come into a gathering like this, and there's like, there's tension in the room that, uh, you know, people are just staying away from each other or not talking to each other. Don't you think as, as this civil case is being worked out in the court system that uh, people are taking sides and as it's resolved, as, as a verdict is brought to, to the close, that some people that have taken one side or the other side now don't feel like they can stay in the church and that's, that's exactly what Paul is, he's warning against. He's like, man, brother is going against brother, and you're wronging each other. Why not work this out amongst yourself? Gather a group of believers together and work this out as a community. Now, I want you to notice, he's talking about civil cases. He's not talking about criminal cases. And that's a distinction that I think we need to make because you've probably watched some documentaries lately on criminal cases, things, things like sex abuse that were happening within a church, and yet they kept it all internal, and nothing was ever prosecuted when it should have been. Okay, let's make that distinction. He's not talking about criminal cases. He's talking about civil cases. Things that, that we can arbitrate, you know, between godly men, bring men in here, use Matthew 18. If a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. If he doesn't listen to you, take one other. If he still doesn't listen, bring it to the church, bring it to the elders, bring it to the whole body, you know, and work things out together so that the name of God may be honored. You know, in, in it all, I, I believe Jesus is our example. And as we think about kingdom community, I want to just define that a little bit for you. But in order to define it, you have to go back to the book of Genesis, okay? Because realize this, the world that we live in right now is not God's original design for it. You know, we, we read in Genesis chapter 1, God, he created the heavens and the earth. And we know he went on to create everything that there was, including Adam and Eve. And he placed them in this garden called Eden to work it and to have dominion over it. Okay, those, those two words are, are important. There was work and there was ruling. Okay, and so God put us here to work and rule on this earth. And that's a beautiful thing. Work came before the fall. He told them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Satan caused them to question God. And, and Satan said, God knows that when you eat of it, you'll become like God. Well, they wanted to become like God. 
They wanted to make themselves like, like him, just like Satan wanted that as well. And so they ate from that tree in rebellion against God. And because of that, a curse came upon mankind. And now this world is full of violence. It's full of injustice. It's full of pain. You know, it's full of sickness. And ultimately, it's full of death. And so this world that God created, it's under a curse. But you know what? God loved us so much that he didn't leave us on our own. And there, as he was cursing mankind, he actually gave a promise for a savior, that being Jesus Christ, his son, who would come ultimately and defeat the curse and, uh, and Satan himself, and he would bring us back to God. He would create a new heaven and a new earth. And that's key. I want you to understand this. You know, you, you all know John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that's death, that's the, that's, that's the curse, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so the gospel is this. God is full of justice. And he wants us to be at peace with him. But in his justice, he says, sin, it deserves death. It deserves the wrath of God. And what Jesus did is he bore the wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried for three days. But the good news is this, and it's the resurrection. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And as he was leaving this world, he promised, he said, I'm going to return. Okay? And, and the promise that we, we actually see is that in the resurrection, that um, we will be raised to rule and to reign with him. Okay? That's, that's garden language, if you think about it. Okay? You remember the garden language of Genesis 1? He created a, new, a, a heaven, and the, he created the heavens and the earth. But in, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, he says this, that he has made us now a kingdom of priests to our God, and we will reign on the earth. What? I thought we we're going to go up to heaven. You know, we're going up to the sky, you know? You know that resurrection is a re resurrection to the new heaven and the new earth? And by that, I believe what God actually means is that Basically, this world is going to be remade. Kind of like when you're working construction, you tear everything down before you build it back up. He's going to remake this earth so that we might work and have dominion with him. And this is what he's talking about. The church is right now living that already, not yet. If Jesus is your Lord and, and you are living to follow him you are part of that kingdom community. It's an already not yet, like I said. And so when you follow Jesus and your worship is for him and you're acting in a way that honors him, you are living out that Christian community. And that's why, that's why he talks about Christian unity in this way. He says, let justice happen in the house of God. Don't take it outside of the house. Those people don't even believe in God. They don't even honor God. Why are you taking it there? And then this is also interesting. He, he uses this line. I hope you're understanding this, this community language, kingdom community language, because he says, 
why you are even going to judge the angels. I heard one of you when we read that line like, hmm? You're going to judge the angels? What in the world? I thought angels were like way above us, you know? And, you know, God, has, God uses angels to, to minister to us. Um, that, that's a beautiful thing. But you know that there are also, I think according to Scripture, one-third of the angels that actually fell, followed Satan when he tried to make himself like God. They fell with Satan, okay? And they are being held in chains until the time of the judgment. And guess what? Scripture says we will be part of that judgment, that may sound crazy to you, but it's what the scripture says. We will have a role in ruling and reigning with God. And part of that ruling and reigning is making a judgment. He says, why not practice on these smaller cases within the church? I know that's a new concept for us. But this is something that when it comes to community, and when it comes to when there's conflict between one another, it's this call to work it out. It's this call that if you need someone to help arbitrate, you know, a conflict that you're having with someone, humble yourself, bring some people in and say, hey, we're having trouble. Get some godly men and women around you to hear, hear what's going on, hear the facts, and then work out, work things out within the church. It's a beautiful thing when that is practiced. Um, and so number one, as we said, is we want to embrace God's design for Christian unity. That's number one. I want you to also think about this, and this has to do with what Jesus said in, re, in, in this regard. Jesus, he said in Matthew 12, verse 25, I just want to flip over there. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. He's talking about unity. And really, really the point is he, he's just asking us to do whatever it takes to fight for the unity within the church, within your personal relationships as a follower of Jesus, within your family, within your workplace. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, do whatever it takes to keep the unity of the Spirit says, in the bond of peace. Um, I, uh, I, I've had the privilege of, I, I told you last week that um, Precious and I were able to go away on a retreat, one of three this year that we're going to be at. And on this retreat, I met one of the guys, and he actually coaches people in the highest level of military. And it's like, he doesn't even know how he got to this position because, you know, he, he feels like a nobody but because of what he's, you know, the pathway that he's gone through, um, he's been elevated to this position of actually coaching some of the highest military leaders in our nation, people that deal with nuclear things. And um, oftentimes these leaders have been promoted to this place because they're smart, he said, but they don't often have the people skills necessary to lead a team well and to work out conflict. They just don't understand these things that well. And so what ends up happening is that if unchecked, these teams will start imploding because of conflict between one another. And I asked him, like, what is, what's usually the, the reason for the conflict? And he answered right away. He was like, usually conflict is just, just miscommunication. 
and misunderstandings. Maybe it was a funny look. Maybe it was just using the wrong word. Maybe it was not, not communicating, you know, what your plans were, and you were too afraid to address it. You'd never addressed it. And so what he does for these leaders is he does 360 interviews with all of their staff. And so, so every, every few months, he, he goes through all of the leaders, and if he hears anything that is any sign of conflict within that team, he writes it down, he addresses it, he gets the fact, and what he does is he brings it to that, that leader. And there's a relationship of humility there where that leader has been told, hey, humble yourself, receive it, and let's work on it. Let's fix it. And so what he does is he coaches that leader through fixing that, that problem of conflict so that it doesn't cause an implosion within a team. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there a few times where teams have imploded because of conflict. And a lot of times in my experience, it's been just, you know, you didn't have the same expectations. You didn't communicate. Um, maybe maybe you, you said something, you didn't mean it, or there was a misunderstanding, you got hurt. But what, what he realizes is that at this highest level of the military, the consequences for a team imploding and not trusting one another are too high, too risky. Lives are at stake. The world is at stake, okay? That's the reality. How much more so in the church? Let's just think about that. How much more so in the church? You know, God is, God is calling us to unity, to unity as a body of believers. I feel that unity here, but we got to fight for it. We got we got to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to promote unity. And doesn't mean that we don't have diversity, doesn't mean that we don't have a, a lot of different opinions, even theologically different ideas about the interpretation of scripture, but we talk about it. And sometimes we agree to disagree and it's okay. But saying, we're going we're to agree, we're going to have a unity together, we're going we're gonna to agree on the essentials and move forward together in love. I believe in it all, Jesus is our example. What did he do? He came with humility and love. Jesus actually taught us this in Matthew chapter 5. I want to just turn, turn over there and just, just read this. He said, um, Matthew chapter 5 verse 38, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, Jesus gave us that example. It was him when he was slapped, when he was insulted. He didn't try to defend himself. You know, and, and what, I, what I realize, and I've, I've lived a pretty short life in comparison to some of you here, but what I've realized is that when there has been conflict in relationships or when I've been wronged, and I'll tell you, I've, I've, been, um, I've been cheated, I've been uh, scammed, I've been stolen from, uh, and I could have pursued some things. But you can just trust it and leave, leave that God sees you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. Um, sometimes there is a place to pursue it. Um, but in it all, if it's between believers in the church, work it out. 
Show some humility. Show some love. Try to understand and, and work it out so that we can keep the peace. Um, let's move on. That sound good? Verses, verses 9 through 11. So, number one, we're embracing God's design for Christian unity. Second, um, God, is, God is asking us to embrace his design for sex, money, and power. For sex, for money, and for power. Let's, uh, let's read verses 9 through 11 right now. He goes on to say, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Beautiful words there, but some hard words. Um, I'll tell you what, this, uh, this section of text has been used by many um, to, to basically say, look at all these awful people. None of them are going to heaven. Look at them. Look at their horrible sin and... Um, and, and basically, like, if, you're, if heaven requires an entrance exam, they fail. Okay? And they take this whole list, list it all out, dot, 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 and they fail. But what I've often noticed is that um, they don't actually see the first verse. Because you see in verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Look at that word inherit. What's an inheritance? Something that you receive, not because you earn it, but because you're part of the family. Your blood, your blood relative, usually. And so, so really what, what we need to remember is that we're not made part of the kingdom community because of what we've done, but because of what's been done for us. And so we live out of response of what's been done for us. Just like we seek for Christian unity because God showed, showed love for us while we were yet sinners and he died for us. You know, he lived a life of humility and peace with others. We seek to do that as well. But, but as, as we look at this list here, we see that, that Jesus is our peace. He's the one that, that came to us while we were still sinners. And so, so as, as we read this list, I, I just want to want you to look at each one of these sins that are listed. And I want you to just think about this in terms of these are not things that are part of God's kingdom community. You know, if God calls us the church and, and these things are going on in our life, um, they don't align with his new creation. And so if these are habitual things in your life, it should make you question whether or not you're actually an heir. And that's, I think, the point of all these. Let's take the first things, though, and let's talk about them, and then we're going to move on to the other things, because I think that we actually usually focus on the first things, and we forget about the second things, okay? The first part of the list is um, big words, sexual immorality, <clears throat> homosexuality, and adultery. You know, the, these are sexual sins, um, and, and I believe that uh, 
we as Christians often, we, we look at the list, that first list, and we think, oh, those, those are the ones, they're not going to get to heaven. They fail the exam, okay? And let, let's just understand God's heart behind this. God's heart is that, you know, and we see it in, in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Therefore, God made them male and female. He joined them together, right? Uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined, become one flesh, um, and, and marriage is to be a permanent bond between one man and one woman for life, okay? And all these other things are adulterations of that. We're supposed to have one sexual relationship with someone else until they die. That's God's design. That's marriage. That demonstrates the faithfulness of God to his, his spouse, the church, to his bride, okay? And so all these other things like homosexuality, or adultery, they, they confuse what God's original design is, okay? Um, but, but I don't want to focus too much on that because I, I think we know that there's sin. But let's look at the next part of the list because these are things that, that don't become the kingdom community. The first word is greedy. You know that that is the sin of materialism? We live in a very materialistic society. We obsess with materialism. Most of us, we have Amazon on our phone and it makes it easier. Walmart Plus or, you know, we, we order things online. We, we can get what we want at the drop of the hat and it's very easy. You know, and usually we're making enough to just be able to sustain our lifestyle. That's often the, the sin of materialism and I, I need to work on that. You need to work on it. Man, we're often very greedy and we need to find contentment in our heart. Um, then there's that word reviler. You know, that is the sin of gossip. Yeah. And gossip is, is easy to do. Sometimes it's fun to do. Sometimes it feels like we're f- solving the problems of the world by talking about other people's problems. But it's gossip. It's not right for us to do. Third, um, there's that word swindler. You know, that is the sin of taking advantage of someone. Yeah. And so these are all things that are not going to be part of the new heaven and the new earth. And if these practices are your identity here on earth, you need to repent of them and turn to Jesus. I hope this makes you understand, um, you know, what this kingdom community is all about. God is making us new. He's making us into this new heaven, new earth. And um, Tim Keller, he, he said in a message that I was listening to this week, he said, God is preparing us for his new creation, for a perfect world in which sex and money and power are all being used in completely life-giving ways and holistic ways. So embracing the kingdom community just means embracing the way of Jesus. How did he come to this earth? He didn't use sex, he didn't use money, he didn't use power to manipulate his way into people's lives. And we shouldn't either. You know, oftentimes I think, think that's, that's the, the, the temptation in this world is that, um, you know, we, we try, and, try and get our way by using these things in a very selfish way. What do all these things have in common? It's the individual and not the community. We're trying to get what we want and not considering the community, and what's helpful for other people. Jesus, he humbled himself, okay? Um, 
when asked, when Jesus was asked, what is, what commandment is the most important? Jesus, he responded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think that sums up what, what Paul is encouraging them toward. Um, maybe as you read this list, you're struggling because you realize, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm guilty. And can I just encourage you? Um, I, I'm not, we're not reading. We're not reading through 1 Corinthians to make you feel more guilty. We're, we're doing this to help us point to Jesus, our Savior. And I want to just remind you of, of that verse 11. If you want to just read it, it's a beautiful one. Um, he says, and such were some of you. This is me. This is you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We were washed by his blood, cleansed by his blood. That's why we remember communion today, right? Take communion to remember the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. Um, then, then there's that word um, sanctified. Sanctified, it means, and, and, and justified. We were made right with God by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're struggling today with shame, God does not want you to live in shame. He wants you to be free of your shame because he took that upon himself. And so be changed, live a new life, follow the way of Jesus, be part of his kingdom community in practicing sex and money and power in these holistic ways within the bounds of marriage. You know, operating a business, focusing on people over profits, okay? Trying, trying to lead people so that they're healthy and not, you're not working them like slaves, okay? These are, these are the ways that, that we're living in God's kingdom as a community, and, and I realize even as, as a leader here in the church that we're, we're trying to, we're, try, we're changing the ways that we do things so that we're more healthy, that we're not doing so much to overwork one another, but we're doing, doing things in a way that, that's going to build one another up, that our spirit's going to be built up. And so we're spending more time on that. And you can take that into your workplace, into your family, into your home, um, and use sex and money and power to, to build people up. God created those things for a purpose. They're not bad, okay? But you got to use them according to his design. Let's move on to the last section, though. So we've talked about embracing Christian unity, God's design for Christian unity, God's design for sex and money and power. The new heaven and the new earth, are, it's all going to be used perfectly in upbuilding ways. The third one is that God wants us to embrace his design for our bodies, our bodies. And uh, you might just write beside there our new identity as well, because he talks about our new identity in Christ. Um, let me read this section of scripture, and, um, and we'll explain it again. Uh, he says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. You notice that's in quotations, but not all things are helpful Again, quotations, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That's a quotation. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord 
and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Big portion of scripture. There's a lot there. I will not do this justice, so I encourage you, go home, study this some more out on your own. I just want to give you, give you the cliff notes, though, okay? First of all, Paul begins by talking about two things, two common teachings, two common sayings that they used in the Corinthian society at that time, okay? So you notice I was like, notice this is in quotations as I read it. The first, the first thing that they said, and he said this, this twice, he said, you say, all things are lawful for me. Second thing he said is that um, you say food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. Okay, so let's just examine these, these sayings and then Paul's response to them, okay, because it's important to understand. So people back then would say, well, all things are lawful for me, okay? I can basically do what I want as long as it's not illegal, and, you know, that's a common thing today. You know, people are like, well, it's not illegal, so, you know, I can do it, okay? Back then, what they believed is that um, their soul was good, but their body was bad. And so, basically, their body was going to be destroyed, and so, you know, they could use their body for whatever they wanted to. And so, specifically, when, you know, he, he talked specifically about sex, he said, you know, you believe that you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, and it's, it's not evil. You know, we can do whatever we want. All things are lawful for me. What was Paul's response, though? His response is, is, is twofold. But not all things are helpful. And then you see in verse 12 again, but I will not be dominated by anything. I believe he's, he's speaking to living a life that's healthy and God wants your best. He does not want you to be dominated or I would say addicted to things. And usually these things that even though they're not illegal but are unhealthy, you know, he, he lists some of them. Um, I'm going to list some more though. Things like um, smoking, marijuana, fast food, <laughs> guilty, okay. Gambling, not illegal, Okay, is it good for you? No. How about adultery, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality? You know, the, these things, even though they are not illegal, what, what, Paul, what Paul says is, you know, we can relate them. He said, they're not helpful. And I'm telling you, these things are not helpful for you either. Why? Because they destroy you physically and they destroy you financially they destroy you spiritually, 
and they leave a path of destruction behind you. And so take, take Paul's warning here seriously. Your body matters. What you do with your body matters. And he, he'll, he'll teach you in a little bit why, okay? But the second statement that, that they used back then was also the statement you'll see in quotations, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, okay? They would say that back then. It sounds reasonable, right? You know, I, you know if I'm hungry, I eat, okay? But they applied that into every area of life for the body. Basically, they viewed sex like an appetite. And so if you're hungry, you eat. If you feel sexy, you have sex. And so that, that's basically the way that they lived. They just indulged their appetite whenever they felt like it. But what they ended up doing was, was using it in, in ways that were completely against God's design. One man, one woman relationship for life. Paul's response, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I believe what Paul gets at is actually, we, we actually see it right back at the beginning of, of Genesis, is that God placed Adam and Eve there in the garden. And you see that they weren't created just like another animal. No, they were created in God's perfect design. In his image, God created them, male and female, to rule and to reign with him. And then you notice, even on that, on that seventh day, what did God do? He rested. He said, you don't have to live like an animal. You don't have to live like a slave to, to, to all your desires. How do animals live? They do whatever they want. They do ever, whatever they feel. They follow, follow their animal, animal desires. We are not like that. We're created in the image of God. You know, my, my son was doing science this week, and, and he, was, he was being taught that, you know, humans are mammals. Okay? And that's true. You know, humans are mammals. But it doesn't mean that we're an animal. And that, that's something that I think we need to really understand is that we don't just act on animal desires. We're made in the image of God. We're special. Okay? Um, I, I, I can even remember back to my childhood in the 90s. There was that song. Remember that one? The you and me baby ain't nothing but mammals song. Yeah, horrible. But think about what it taught you. It taught you you're just nothing but an animal. Don't look it up. Okay, you don't even. <laughs> but seriously, seriously, that's exactly what the Corinthian culture believed. And he's taking them away from that. You're not an animal. Second thing is he, he's also teaching them that your body is holy. Your body is holy. Why? Because God's spirit, he dwells within you. And no longer does God dwell in houses made by, made by man. You know, we come into this, this place, we call it a sanctuary. You are the sanctuary of God. God dwells in his people. You are holy. And if you trust in him, God, God dwells within you. I love the way that Eugene Peterson actually... Um, paraphrases this in the Message Bible. I want to close with this because I, I believe that this is a really good summary. Um, again, this is, this is a paraphrase. So just take it in, receive it. It's, it's one man's interpretation or summary of, of the way that God's word was written. 
But he, he makes it very clear how God designed us to be and, uh, and why. Um, verse 14 through 15, he summarized saying this. God, he honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to the whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There is more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. Those bodies that were made for God-given and God-molded love, becoming one with another. Or don't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So, let people see God in and through you and through your body. Love that. Great explanation and a challenge to you and to me. Again, if you're feeling shame right now, maybe because of your past, I identify with you. I feel shame as well. But man, let's just remember what Jesus has done for us. Can I point us back to verse 11? We'll close with this and we'll pray. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. By the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's live together in this kingdom community that God has called us to. Where Jesus is Lord, he is Lord over your life, he is Lord over your body. He is Lord of sex, money, power. Man, he's Lord of the unity of this church. Jesus is Lord in this place. And so let's pray and ask him just to, just to come here and, and forgive us and to, 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 to be Lord here in his church today. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's a challenge to us, Lord, as we look to it. And Lord, I know that as Paul wrote these things, Man, his goal wasn't to discourage. His goal was to really just purify them and point them to the community that they are. And so, Lord, would you teach us and grow us? Lord, your gospel is that you came to us while we were still sinners and you died for us. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that just wants to repent of their sin right now, to say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? I realize, man, I have not been living like an heir. I've not been living like, like that heir of your kingdom, God. I want to be part of your family. God, would they just reach out to you asking for your forgiveness, trusting in you as Savior and as Lord. 
And so, Lord, we say you're welcome in this place. You're welcome in our lives. God, you're welcome in everything that we do as we leave this place. God, we gather to go. And so, Lord, would you help us to live as your disciples as we leave this place. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.